The Right to Ricky Sanchez podcast brought to you by Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. The Paul Green Rock Academy, the official music school of the process. L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. And Kinetic Skateboarding, get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, thank God the uh, West Coast trip is over. One, uh, the games are now going to be earlier. And two, boy, that was not the best West Coast trip ever. Um, before we get, oh, and also, I, I was thinking this morning about a big picture Sixers thing. Mike, uh, Mike started a, a really good podcast a couple months ago by doing this. And now I have something that I haven't warned Mike about that I'm pretty much going to lead the pod with. So Great. we'll do that as well. Yep. Uh, hey, Blue Coats night, two-way night with the Ricky down at the 76ers Fieldhouse in Wilmington with the Blue Coats is on sale now. A $14 ticket, which would be enough just to see the game. You're also going to get a Ricky and Blue Coats t-shirt. You're also going to see the, the live Ricky after the game. Mike and I will bang the drum before the game, which wow. is our, our training for ringing the bell. Mm-hmm. There will, will be something new announced soon, which is going to be totally ridiculous. And it is dollar dog night. So um, go to rightsrickysanchez.com for your $14 ticket and fly the Process 5 to Indianapolis for New Year's Eve. We are filling up. Um, I, I think I mentioned about 75% full on that. It is going to be smaller than, than it has been in the past just because of the number of flights. New Year's Eve, uh, Sixers Pacers in Indianapolis, and then a New Year's Eve party with TJ, writes to rickysanchez.com. Without any further ado, Amos and the chef. Welcome to the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who is probably still celebrating the airing of his and his partner Patrick's um, episode of Perfect Harmony, Mike Levin. Ah, hey, man. Yeah. Still, it was, it still was celebrating? Nice. Yeah. yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice uh, episode. It was a uh, slight, you know, the what you, you put things on network comedy and you had to... Uh, Cut things for time, so there were a couple of things we had to we had to cut that that we loved and, and miss. Um, but th- thought all in all, great episode. Um, a lot of people are saying best episode of the season. Most wow. of those people are related to me. And <laughs> uh, well, I I have to. I remember checking one of your shows that uh, outperformed itself in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, when it was your episode, so I'm. Do you want I me have to promise inf- that? Yeah, do it. I have, I have okay. promised that it would happen, so absolutely. Okay. The ratings right, were will... the ratings were good. They held held with last week, which was a high. So, seems okay. to be on the on the uptick. And you can watch all the episodes on Hulu.com or NBC.com or wherever you get that. Uh, it's a nice show. It's good. And uh, our last day in the room was 
is Monday. So the, the show wow. is ending for us. So. Um, yeah, we'll check it out. I'll, I will find those ratings. I will get them for yeah. Philadelphia. Let's do it. All right. So um, I have actually a score to settle later on the pod with a, uh, a football writer. I'm going to settle a little bit of a score. But before I do, um, of course, after last night's game, a, as usual, a meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I am convinced that, like, the uh, existence of social media in general makes these things seem bigger than they are. Um, if there was no social media, people would have a meltdown and then go to bed and wake up and feel fine because they wouldn't have seen anybody else talk about it. But it all sort of builds on itself. But I've been noticing like a general trend in how we discuss, let's just, for instance, talk about the um, apparent flaws of the two young stars, Simmons and uh, Embiid, in that um, it's either everything in, in that Simmons can't shoot, or it's nothing in that that is not an issue at all. And same with, uh, with Embiid. I don't want to call out actually the two people that were discussing it because I like them both, but like uh, there was an article written on Liberty Ballers, uh, like sort of making fun of the idea of uh, talking about Embiid's maturity after the fight thing. And somebody else like said that it was a dog whistle for racism. And then uh, they were like, well, uh, maturity is a made up basketball thing. And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, and I think we're, we're sort of at the point where we have to admit that these things are not everything but they are not nothing. And, and the reason that they are so big, and I, I sort of like thought about AU's article this week in talking about watching, like not having a meltdown every time a team that you think should win every game doesn't, is the fact that the, when they went all in-ish by signing Harris for the money they did and signing Horford, um, they, they, everyone has said, we're all talking about a championship, right? And a, a, a championship that, so then every game and every flaw is, is looked at under the, the context of will this be a problem for them to win a championship? And sure, like last night's game is just a game, is one game, you know, is not that big a deal. But, um, and I'm getting to the, like my point, I look at Simmons and Embiid and players at their um, stage of development when they are going to be great, come back each year with something new. Like they have noticeably improved. And I look at Simmons and Embiid and and Kevin Kincaid mentioned this and I've been saying it all week and they basically look exactly the same to me. Uh, Tobias Harris, who we're sort of complaining about is having like a career year (laughs) based on all the numbers. Horford looks like Horford, Um, but, but Simmons and Embiid look exactly the same. I look at them compared to players like Giannis or Kawhi or LeBron, and I ask myself, are these guys right now at this point in their career really honestly at that same level? And are they about enough about a championship to come back and just go, fuck, this is all I care about. This is the thing. And I look at it and I'm like, I don't really think so. <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't mean they won't have a good year and they couldn't be better next year and all those things. But the reality of, you know, Simmons making 30 million next year and Bede making 35, Horford making 30 and um, Tobias Harris making 36 and they're 15 million over the cap in four players. And all of this stuff is, is sort of impending. And I'm just worried that our two young guys are just not there yet. 
and uh, and it, it it seems obvious in that their flaws seem pretty obvious to me, and that's it. Ah. sorry. That's okay. Um, you know, we tried. We didn't do a midweek podcast, and it was like, all right, no. we lost a couple of games, and that's fine because we didn't do a podcast. It didn't happen. And then right. the Sixers would not relent. They were forcing us to do a podcast after a, a lost podcast. So here, yeah. here we are doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, this, the premise of did Embiid and Simmons get better? Noticeably better at one thing. I don't know that that's true. I would say in, in like a, oh, that's new, that kind of thing. I don't see it. I think Embiid improved his handle. Uh, I think Simmons improved his handle, especially in the half court. Um, I think Embiid improved his shot from the line and from three. He seems to be more confident and willing to let fly. I think for a few games and maybe it, the, he had a couple rough ones and then he got hurt, I thought Simmons was better at getting easy finishes around the rim. Um, and I think he's... Um, understands defense better and when he can take risks and stuff and sometimes he goes a little too far on that but i i like i like going for it most of the time but i agree in the sense that they you know simmons isn't shooting um Embiid still is a pretty poor passer um and his and and physically doesn't look any different um but I will say, like, they were 5-0, and and then Embiid missed two games. And then Simmons got hurt in the, third, in the next game and didn't play. So, or 4-0, four, four and, oh, and then Embiid missed two games. Um, I, I think that the, it's a long season and I know that that's like a frustrating like bland thing but there's gonna there's gonna be these stretches the the frustrating thing about the Sixers last season was that they never had like sort of a the waters never calmed yeah it was always yep, something for sure and this starting lineup is very impressive but also they have to adjust uh, to each other around each other on both ends of the court. And I agree that thus far Tobias Harris has been the best player, um, which is exciting, I think, well, for, for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's been, he's taking more fast. He's getting on the line a lot. Like he's rebounding at a career level. I think he's leading the team in rebounding. Oh, really? Well, I, I think so. When Embiid, yeah, yeah when Embiid's not there, yeah. Um, he, there's a bunch of things. Josh Richardson had a bunch of really nice things happen last Defensive night. Defensive place. Um, Horford is Horford, and will be the glue. And will and he's missed more like shots inside than I thought. I think here's here's broadly, they started five and zero, and then I think we're like, oh, okay, we got this. It's a regular season. We're not gonna. We can sort of coast at 80 percent, most of the game, or all of the game. Um, and still come out with a win. And uh, maybe that was an ethos sort of born into them by Jimmy because you watched, you watched Jimmy in the, in the regular season last year with us and he was not trying no. as hard as he could. 
And then in the playoffs, you saw him try a lot more. And you watch him with Miami, and it's like, this is a different guy. Like, he's, he, he's taking threes off the catch. He's doing a lot of other stuff. So maybe now he cares. But I think, I think there was some level of the regular season is the preseason. We can win and still get the one seed or come close to getting the one seed without really breaking too much of a sweat. And I, whether or not I agree with that, I mean, they got outscored by, what, like 22 in the fourth quarter last night? Yeah. I, they scored 13 points, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was an embarrassing display, like very embarrassing. Every single thing went wrong. Absolutely every single thing went wrong. If one fewer thing went wrong, like they didn't, they also shot like, what, 46% from the line? Like nine of, yeah. like eight of 17 or something like that? Yeah, um, but but... But don't you think part of it is like, so let's, the, the last two offensive possessions last night, the one where, that resulted in the Horford air ball and then the Embiid, um, the Embiid foul. Which sort I thought, of I like- I thought were both good, good possessions. Yes. That, that Horford yeah. shot was, a, was an open look from straight away. And yep, for sure. There was a bad call on Embiid and there were other options in that play that could have resulted in a decent look also. But I think both of them, and I agree with you, and I, you know, the, there's some criticism for Brett after that night, but it, it really does show the difference between like the Portland game and the Denver game, whether it works is really just sort of all that it is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Embiid would have had a, a wide open look, but it, it does sort of speak to the fact that they just don't have anybody who they can give the ball to. Like you look at Denver and there are probably three guys on that team that you can give the ball to on the perimeter and say, all right, um, you get a bucket real quick, and the Sixers don't have anybody, and they need everything I don't, to wait, go hang, hang on. right. Who's, who's on Denver that you would say give the ball to on the perimeter and say get a bucket? Murray Harris. I don't think Gary Harris is starting any offensive actions. But I love Gary Harris, but I don't. That's not true. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Tobias Harris is a better offensive player than Gary. Will Harris. Barton, maybe, but I, I better than anybody we have. No, I think Tobias Harris is oh. a better offensive player than most of those guys. Hmm. Okay. Tobias Harris never gets the ball in those situations. Um, Tobias is interesting because he goes because he like he it's it's almost like he I guess you could say kind of say this about Jimmy, but there's he disappears through some stretches of games and then yeah, we'll get he did at the end last and night. then we'll get like eight straight possessions where he gets the ball and takes and takes like a a good look at a mid range and will like score twelve of his eighteen points in that like two minute stretch. It's interesting. We'll get to the game. I, I, this is just what I would ask you. Yeah. Do you think that Simmons and Embiid are, at, based on what you've seen so far, uh, certainly things can change. And like, look, they, they could certainly get to the finals and who knows, somebody gets hurt, yada, 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 yada. Like, I'm, I'm not just, I'm not casting it off. But do you think in a normal world that Simmons and Embiid are at the level of what a best player needs to be in the NBA to win a championship right now? I think that the right this second, yeah, no. no. Do I think they could okay. get there over the course of this season? Yes. Okay. Um, there's so many. The Sixers are a weird fucking team, and we're never gonna have a normal team. They're, we're, they're never gonna have just a guy who does the point guard stuff and shoots and they <laughs> right. run pick and roll. It's never gonna happen. We're gonna have to be dealing with this. You know, our pets' heads are falling off as. We're contending for a championship. It's going to be weird shit forever. Nothing is normal. This is just how it's going to be. And I've accepted that. Um, hmm. They're 
they're a really good team and they're really well built for the playoffs. Um, the regular season will be a slog. Yeah. There's going to be good moments. There's going to be bad moments. Uh, there, I, I, I come away impressed by a lot of the bench guys and think that's a nice thing that's going to happen over the course of the season is some bench guys can perform and get hot and, and, and rotate in. Embiid had a horrendous game. Horrendous. It was game. horrible. Like yeah. across horrible. the board. He had a couple nice plays yeah. in the second half, but holy shit, he was bad. And I don't know if it's the fucking, you know, elevation well, or what. I've said it. There should not be home games in Denver. It's actually, oh, Denver and Utah, it's actually ridiculously unfair. Uh, but, and they faded in the fourth, but it's not like this is the first time that's happened, I guess. And it doesn't always happen in Denver. It was a terrible game from Embiid. He didn't even play 30 minutes. Like he, uh, which we, I guess we both love, but man, they were a bad 29 minutes. They weren't good. I, yeah. I like when they get punched in the mouth sometimes. And I think that the, the Phoenix game was, was one, the Utah game never felt like a win. Um, this game they should have won. I, I was this was the, tonight. Last night was the first night that I was. I entertained the idea of getting very mad, and I yeah. think I I think I put it away after the like long challenge that like didn't work. Like the challenge system, we can talk about that later. But it's like if they're not oh going to overturn anything, what's the point of even wasting our time? Like why are we doing this? They don't they don't want to overturn their calls. It's too. I'm, yeah, they don't want to do it. It's it's ridiculous. I know the, you the, hate challenges the, in general, but if they're yeah. the, the NBA specifically has shown no interest to want to overturn any real calls, and so it's like, well, let's just get get a move on that. Just admit you don't want to overturn any calls, and let's drop the charade. Just a waste of time. Well, and that weird thing to change on the Embiid and one to say that the foul occurred before the shot, yeah. which when everything was like, if you're gonna don't change anything, then just say no every time so we can get on with the charade. But when they change anything, oh yeah, I'm against replay in general because I just think it. If you really cared, you would have, you would make all calls that way. You know, it wouldn't just be two calls a game that would matter. But yeah, NBA, the, just the two ones they called, the Embiid steal and the uh, even that call at the end, the offensive foul were both fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But the Embiid steal was was it was all ball. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's uh, their offense is definitely like ha- you you are right to be concerned about their offense. And you look at other teams and you're like, wow, this. Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley pick and roll with a with a big man who sets a hard screen or a Jamal Murray Jokic situation or even you know Baines Booker or Rubio kind of thing it just it felt like especially Utah it felt we're going to do the same thing every time and you guys won't be able to stop it and I wonder what that is for us yeah for us I it agree. seems like when Embiid is on in the post, maybe you can just dump it down into him and force them to double. Embiid needs to be better, and I fucking hate saying this because I say it all the goddamn time, at making a quick decision out of the post and passing it out to a shooter or a cutter or going right up with it. He waits too long, and he gets the ball stolen from him. He had eight turnovers last night. It's, it's, I don't know how he hasn't gotten better at this. He goes through stretches where he looks better at it, but man, it is, it, he should, this is his fourth season now, and you, he's been getting double teams sent at him, and I don't know what it is. He should be better at seeing shit. Once in a while, he'll make like a, he'll whip a pass out that you're like, oh, wow, you have it. But it's a reluctance. I don't know what it is. He should be passing from that 
low block all the time. And he just doesn't do it. And that's, I think, the Simmons not shooting thing is absolutely aggravating, especially after seeing all the videos over the summer of like, okay, here it's coming. He's going to do it. At least he's going to shoot some. I don't know if it's real, but like he, he at least has it in him. And he's not even setting, entertaining the idea of like spotting up anywhere. That I don't even know how to like diagnose that from a like psychological perspective. Embiid is so good. And to not be able to figure this out of how to, when they double, I'm going to make them pay by passing to a wide open shooter or cutter or underneath or whatever. He has not gotten better at it. And, or at least not gotten better enough. And it's very frustrating watching that happen as he turns the ball over or forces shots up. Occasionally he'll get a bailout call. Occasionally he deserves it. But stop like, f- I don't mind the occasional fadeaway. I don't mind the f- like facing up and, and rising up over a guy. He doesn't have to like take it directly at the rim every time. But when they double, find the open guy. It, it, it shouldn't be that difficult, and you shouldn't have to wait till the last, like, three seconds of a shot clock to make a decision. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. He didn't, it didn't, it just doesn't seem like he played much basketball in the offseason. He mentioned that he was knee rehabbing, but, like, um, I, I think both things are, you know, Mike O'Connor wrote an article in The Athletic um, where he talked about the Simmons shooting thing and just sort of let loose on it. And both things the Embiid thing and the Simmons thing are are pretty crazy, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> my favorite line in the O'Connor thing is he said, forget improvement to his accuracy or form for a moment. The fact that Simmons is still this opposed to attempting shots is preposterous. We, leave, we live in a world where Piston Center Andre Drummond now takes a three in almost every game. Um, both things, and th- those are the things that worry me. Like I look at Embiid doing that, and I'm like, we see him actually improve during the season more than we see him improve in between seasons, yeah. except for the beginning of last year. It definitely seemed like the beginning of last year he was out there on a mission. But this seems like a hard thing that will hard thing to improve during the year, and something that we would have liked to have seen improved at this point in his career in his fourth season on yeah. the court. I, right? it's, yeah. I the the passing thing is so it's so. Interesting because he can decide to just be like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna average seven assists a game. How about that? Sure. Wouldn't that be cool like if I if I yeah. yeah if I if I like Will just decided to be to like come close to leading the league in assists. Fucking this this big fat Jokic guy gets to have all this excitement about him being a passer. I can do that. I'm capable of doing that. They double me more. I can just get easy assists every time. And then I think the Phoenix game was either Phoenix or Utah. He had three assists in the first like five minutes. And then I don't think he had an assist the rest of the game. It was like, it was almost, he was like, all right, I'm passing too much. I got to go do my thing. And it's like, what? Why? Why? Just be excited about passing. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. There's, there's a, he wants like good teammates. He wants like guys that he can play with and he, you know, misses Jimmy and stuff. But like, find your guys, find the teammates. You like, you like these guys. You're having fun playing with these guys. Pass it to them when they're open. We take a break from the Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast to talk to you about something that's very, very important to us. That is the health of your dog. Your dog. Your dog. That's right. Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Mike, I made a decision this morning. Um, I was uh, so Rebel, my dog, sleeps on a big Barker right next to the bed that Val and I sleep on. 
And around 3 a.m., he will sneak his dog self into our bed and sleep in between us, creating a situation in which I can't move or roll over or anything like that because he's got his space. Mm. And I'm realizing that the big barker is just as comfortable as our bed. So when he moves into our bed, I am going to move on to the big barker. Wow. How do you, how do you feel about this plan? I think it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'm getting older and the support that the Big Barker provides, which is the only dog bed engineered by experts to support the joints of your dog. I have old joints and they will be supported great on the Big Barker therapeutic dog bed. It's the only dog bed on the market that is an actual bed, not like that cheap fake bed you bought from the pet store go to bigbarker.com slash ricky bigbarker.com slash ricky your dog can be like jazz who is the newest process pup a uh, a mini pincher right there on the process pup section of rights to rickysanchez.com if you go to uh, bigbarker.com slash ricky not only do you get the amazing big barker that you can sleep in after your dog moves into your bed uh, but you get the process pup patch two of them that you can iron on uh, and then do whatever you want with the second one you can iron both of them on arthritis is a real thing in dogs. They have joints just like we do. And that's why it is so important to have a supportive dog bed like a big barker. A 10-year warranty. 10 years. So you're like, you look at the big barker, you're like, this is expensive. It's going to last you 10 years. Foam doesn't flatten or they replace it for free. A one-year at-home trial. If you don't like it, if your dog doesn't like it, uh, they will not only give you a full refund, but they will pay for the shipping for you to send it back. It's handmade right here in the United States of America. Big Barker dog beds. Woof, woof. Now back to the Ricky. We got we got a really a good few Embiid emails that I want to touch on at the end that were all the, the same sort of worried tone, not about his play, but about other stuff. Um, well, outside of that... Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of last night, uh, just other things that we saw. The it was a great Neto game. I thought I thought Neto was good. It 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 does. I think you mentioned this in the last pod. When we see a normal point guard in there, it is sort of like it feels nice to see yeah. a guy hitting shots off the catch and running pick and rolls and all that. And he's he uh, he plays with a lot of energy and is pesky on defense. And uh, Neto should as you mentioned last time, should just be normally in the rotation. And I would just rather he get the majority of the backup point guard minutes over Richardson. That would be my my wish after seeing that. Yeah, absolutely. And Trey Burke, a nice, a nice at least yeah. spark plug for a moment of, of good Trey Burke stuff. Yep. Um, Korkmaz. Uh, Stiebel, we got to oh, gotta, gotta do Korkmaz. Yeah. I so mean, this, I, is a, this is the run. This is We're, we're in yeah. it. We're living in it. Yep. So I will... Two bits of credit. I we can't go through this without us both getting credit. <laughs> you have always believed in in Furkan Korkmaz. The one thing I will say that I did say before the season is that I do believe he can shoot. I absolutely believe he can shoot. I don't think he can do anything else, but I do believe he can shoot. He just fucking he he's feeling it. He's man. feeling and that, it. That's all I'll say is he just doesn't care. I've never he's seen like, a man with less. <laughs> A, a less confident persona yeah. and like body language and face look more confident on the court. Mm-hmm. Inexplicably, all he, of a sudden, he just started throwing behind the back passes. Like, he's, he's one more like fouled while he's shooting a three that goes in away from, I think, taking his dick out mid shot and just starts stroking it 
softly because that's how confident he is. He's, he's, there is a level of, fuck you, I'm hitting every single shot. He's coming in with his big feet, swinging his big dick. Yeah. Come on, Korkmaz time. Here we are. He really loves that foul line extended on three oh, on the wing. That, that's, that's, that isn't, I, for the first time in my life, he, shot, he took a shot. Like, it was like a pump fake sidestep, go up with it. I'm like, that's in. That's his spot. I said, that's his spot out loud to myself during a Korkmaz I, shot. <laughs> I, I don't really play video games anymore. I stopped playing 2K when I started practicing guitar. But I kind of want the update after they say that Korkmaz can shoot threes to just fucking rain down on the league yeah. with Korkmaz threes. Good for him, uh, man. I, I'm happy for him. And he has a quick release, and he's tall and a high release. Yeah. So if he can shoot, he does seem like... He could, if even if he doesn't do anything else, he uh, he will be effective in that. Yeah, way. and I think so, the team yeah. likes him, which is fun. He fell down, like he got fouled shooting a three by the Sixers bench, and it was it was almost like you know those like connecty, not Lego, but like the big ball that like folds into itself, the big like uh, I I'm terrible at describing things. It's like it's almost a Lego, but it's a big circular ball that you can expand out, and it's a big. Circus. Oh yes. And it yes. Can, it can, it I, I, I don't know what that's called, but I know what you're talking. It about. looked as if when as the bench was like collapsing onto him, it was like that. Like all of them at the same time reaching to pick him up, and it was like it was very pro teamwork, pro Korkmaz. I'm I'm happy about it. Well, you know it's because they can't believe it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's 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 really what where that comes from. Uh, Matisse Thibel, uh did not play. Um, this was something that Mike mentioned in his article as well, and actually was something that <laughs> a lot of times when I go through Sixers ideas and stats, I go to Wawa at like 5 a.m. and I get coffee and I read stuff while I'm sitting in my car. And I was like, I wonder what Thibault's like foul level is. And he hasn't played enough minutes to qualify for the normal leaders, but he, he fouls at a rate of eight fouls per 48 which is too much, uh, which is, I think, like six per 36, is shooting 25% from the field, is turning it over at a rate of 3.9 turnovers per 36. I see nothing and, wrong with any of this. <laughs> but not, not that this is who he'll be, but it definitely warranted a, hey, Rook, chill out. You know, you mentioned him going too fast, which is something that Mike mentioned as well, but in all parts of his game, yeah. you know, he can't foul as much as he fouls uh, because, you know, and, and this is also something you talked about, the rest of the league sort of figuring out what he does and everyone's smart and they will bait him into fouls yeah. and they will, they will draw fouls. And I thought it was a, especially with Korkmaz playing the way he is, it, it wasn't a bad game to give him a breather, though I wouldn't have minded him in on the final uh, Nuggets possession. Yeah, um, I'm glad that he that he got a that he took a seat for a game. I think it's this is this is going to happen. This is rookie year. He does some excellent stuff on the court, and uh, right now has a lot of rope to make plays on defense. I think Mike O'Connor made the point of like. Do what you do off ball. Absolutely. Yeah. Go create havoc. Go try to anticipate passing lanes, whatever. But when you're covering someone, especially when they're the lead guard, you know, whether it's Kemba or Devin Booker, whoever, they are good enough to bait you into fouls, like you said. And I think there's things that he's shots that he contested in college from behind that were just a regular contest that 
NBA players are good enough to sort of hesitate a little bit or like lean back a little bit so it looks like they're fouling. He's fouling them. You can tell every time he's doing it, he's like, he doesn't complain about fouls, but he kind of gets a look in his face like, no, I didn't foul him. Like, I'm an honest young man and I didn't intend on fouling him. So I object to you blowing a whistle. And so I think that there's just, it's, Partly it's because NBA refs just haven't seen anybody like contest like that before. He's a yeah. really singular player, and so I think they're expecting that he f- he's fouling maybe more than he actually is some, in some cases. But also, he's, he's just got to get used to NBA speed and NBA timing and, and when to pick his spots. I like him taking risks, but obviously with all the fouls being called against him, I, he should do that less on ball. Two other things I had. First of all, I thought of a name for Kylo Quinn. Um, I am going to call Kylo Quinn Black Sabonis because his combination of passing and shooting for a big man, I've only seen. Like, he's a fucking awesome passer and has no conscience from three. I love it. I love Kylo Quinn. We've been talking about getting Kylo Quinn for like four years now. Yeah. And he's even better than I thought he would be. I love him. I fucking love him. He makes me think sometimes, I'm I'm glad we have Horford. I do appreciate him as we always have. But sometimes I'm like, well, could we have spent that money somewhere? I love O'Quinn. I fucking love him. I do too. And he should have played more than eight minutes last night. He was playing well. He was kind of devastating Jokic. Not that you're going to put O'Quinn in the fourth quarter over Embiid, but like, Embiid had six foul, had five fouls for a while. Like you, we could have, we could have stolen a couple more Kyle O'Quinn minutes, and I would have liked that, especially when he was hot. But it's yeah, also I agree. fine. I, I really that last game, last night's game was very frustrating. It was, and it's aggravating that they, that their offense stalls out in ways. Whether Simmons is on the court or whether he's off, like sometimes I think a point guard that can shoot helps. Sometimes someone that can just push and transition. The last two games without Simmons. They've really had a, a tough time getting free buckets in transition, and that's so much of that is just Simmons creating stuff on his own, uh, whether that's him finishing or him driving and kicking out to shooters. Um, and you can even tell in the, sp- in, the, in the pace of the game, the Sixers didn't shoot horribly. They shot 50% from, the f- from three last night. They shot 44% from, from, uh, from the field. They didn't turn the ball over a ton, and they only scored 97 points. And that's just because yeah. like, everything was in the half court. And it was like them taking 20 seconds to make a decision. There were a couple shot clock violations. Like it wasn't. I, even when Simmons plays badly, I almost like, I want, what I wanted was an Embiid bad game that they won. Um, yeah. Especially with the bench. Like then they should have, honestly, if just one less horrible thing happened in the fourth quarter last night, then everyone feels satisfied. Wow, they won with a good bench showing, even without a, a good Embiid, blah, blah, blah. Um, on the road against a pretty good team. Um, but it, just too many things went wrong. But I, I I, like when either Simmons or Embiid plays badly and still impacts the game in a bunch of real ways. Like, that is that to me is a sign of like, oh, this team is, these guys are good enough to, even when they're off, they change the game in such real ways that they can win without really playing well at all. And for Simmons, that's him 
forcing the issue in transition and then kicking out to shooters because they have to the defense collapses on them and it's just so easy for Tobias or Mike Scott or Josh or Embiid or whatever, or Horford or whoever to just walk into open looks when Simmons is, is attacking the lane. Uh, and for Embiid, that's just like his positioning on defense. Now Horford obviously mitigates the previous uh, defensive rotation when he was off the court, but and Embiid's block on Millsap was excellent. I'm, you can wax about that if you'd like. But, Who? Uh, exactly. But man, uh, man they shouldn't. Have, they shouldn't have lost that game. Because I love it when they play poorly and win. And what a treat that is. Because yeah, would have like, been nice. And like they were in position to do bucket. it. It's like being like, oh, I, yeah. I get to save this. Yeah, and they, you know, with you know, as well as as Simmons plays on defense they had a really good defensive night without Simmons you know even yeah. that that last bucket that that Jokic hit the hit the shot yeah they actually like their defense was fucking really good until the end and it just you know it was a broken play almost oh, and yeah. and Richardson was even almost there almost made up the the time it's just yeah, yeah. that had so many things went wrong that shot shouldn't have gone in if Matisse is in I don't question Brett. I, I, if he put Matisse in for that last play after not playing all game, I think that could have certainly been weird. So I'm, I don't question yeah. that. But had Matisse been playing, he comes up with that ball on the sideline. Like he, that's just his Millsap. Like they collapsed on Millsap and the ball was loose and people were grabbing for it, and Millsap ended up kicking it out and swinging it, and then Jokic got it off like a, a sloppy thing and stepped in, hit like a a twenty foot like a rushed twenty footer. Like come on, that shouldn't have gone in. It shouldn't have happened. I object to it even existing at all. Keeping us honest, uh, well, three games on the West Coast trip. I, I, I don't think we could have asked for four, uh, three and one, though it would have been nice. Two and two would have been great. Two and two would have been one great. One and three. Yeah, one and three is not Three games in a row this early in the season is not great, uh, but it's not the end of the world, but it's also not great. So, But the MB and the, they are with Embiid and Simmons, they are what? Five and one? Four and one? No, M- Embiid has not played six games. Embiid's pl- I don't think. Embiid's played five games. So they're four yeah. they're four and one because they lost the Utah game with everybody? Or did Simmons leave yes. the Utah game? Well Simmons left in the middle. Oh well then yeah. Um, they're because Embiid didn't play the Phoenix game, right? Correct. Alright, then they're four and oh with Embiid and Simmons. For there we go. I have found it. <laughs> I have found the take. You got there. We take a break from the Ricky to talk about the only sponsor we have that is specifically geared toward music. That is the Paul Green Rock Academy. Of course, L.L. Pavorsky loves music and sings jazz in his spare time. Um, You can enjoy music while drinking Colony Mead, but only the Paul Green Rock Academy is the one that is going to teach you how to play music. Um, Musicians of all ages. You know, Paul Green is famous, very famous. In fact, there's a movie made about him, about him teaching kids how to play in bands, and he still does that. You know, like uh, super talented kids or kids just learning the master's program, the junior program, but adults as well. That's been especially popular with the uh, the Ricky audience because many of them are adults. Uh, at least they play adults in, in their lives. And, uh, and the adult program, which used to just go for spurts, now goes all year long. Playing an instrument is fun. Learning how to play an instrument is fun. But playing with other people and learning from the guy who has made his name and career in teaching you how to do so is like the best thing to do. So if you have a kid 
that uh, you want to play with other kids. If you, if you want to play, you got to reach out to Paul Green. He is the guy. He's really the only guy. PaulGreenRock.com. PaulGreenRock.com. Specifically looking for bass players, but anybody who plays anything, reach out. Uh, discounts for rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners specifically, so make sure you let him know uh, or whoever you deal with over there know that you're a Ricky listener. PaulGreenRock.com. PaulGreenRock.com. Uh, back to the Ricky. Well, I, I actually want to get to the Utah game, but I want, I want to one last thing on the Nuggets game. You do not have to comment if you don't want. But, you know, when I'm talking about Jokic being tubby, uh, I would say 70% of it is honestly how I feel, and I turn it up a little bit for the other 30%. I tweeted last night, honestly, Jokic should be ashamed of himself. Not everyone has to be a specimen, but he looks like he took his new contract right to the buffet the entire offseason. Bill Barnwell, who I didn't know still existed after Grantland went away, uh, quote tweeted it in, in sports Twitter's ever, never-ending um, uh, never goal to seem like the most uh, moral and virtuous one on the internet. Cool to see people literally fat shame professional athletes in 2019. <sighs> okay, couple things here, Bill. First of all, professional athletes, part of what is important about them is their conditioning. So I have bad news for you. The condition that the athletes are in is actually pertinent to their performance. And the fact that the nice play-by-play guys for the Sixers, Allah like was beside himself without calling him names about how out of shape Jokic looked. Like he literally looks like 20 pounds heavier than last year. So that's the first thing. It is pertinent information. The second thing is, Bill, I see a lot of people, including you, sticking up for Nikola Jokic, but for the last six months, when people complained about Joel Embiid's conditioning, I just don't see the same defending of him. And I'm trying to figure out what the difference is. Like, they're both about the same age. They're both foreign players. They're both all NBA centers. They have both topped out in the second round. Yet, you seem to defend Jokic and call it fat shaming. But I searched through all of your tweets and could not find you defending Joel Embiid. So I just want you to sit and think about what the difference might be. I have hinted about it in the past, but I just want you to think about it. And the final thing uh, I'd like to point out is a few tweets from Bill Barnwell. And as a previous fat guy, I can tell you how this feels. Tweet from 1-16-2016, so close to a fat guy touchdown. Um... From 2010, are fat head coaches underperforming? 2015, almost a fat guy touchdown. Let me tell you what I don't want to do when I'm a professional athlete or don't want to see. In my moment of glory, when I'm scoring a touchdown, have somebody call me fat. Like, I know you think you have some kind of kinship with overweight athletes because you are also overweight um, and a writer, but you don't have a kinship. They are professional athletes, and you are not. And nobody likes being called fat, even if you think you're doing it in some kind of glorious kinship way. So to wrap up, there is no difference between people talking about Jokic being out of shape and Embiid being out of shape, even though you seem to think there's a difference. Two, you don't get to call people fat just because you're fat. And three, 
no one thinks that you're morally, uh, you're, you're on some kind of moral high ground because you pointed out that I was talking about uh, Nikola Jokic's body, which is a completely legitimate thing to talk about. That's all I've got. Also, still very surprised that Bill Barnwell is out there. Well, beef corner. Yeah, beef corner. Um, do we have anything? Oh, oh, one thing I want to talk about with the Suns. So this is this is just uh, not the Suns game, the Jazz game. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Simmons was not in there for a lot, but it does go back to Mike O'Connor's thing. So it does seem like, you know, we had the Suns game where uh, one of our, our forever enemies, uh, Aaron Baines, sort of did the Celtics defense on Simmons and held them to six points or whatever, six points, seven rebounds, five assists, whatever it was. And then the Jazz game, it did seem like we saw Dunker spot Simmons a lot. And Mike O'Connor mentioned that a lot of times he's not even in the Dunker shot. He is taking more difficult shots, like more fadeaways and fewer jumpers altogether. The other thing that struck me when he had that injury, and it made me think about the offensive fouls he's gotten this year, is he got the injury by like lowering his shoulder into the guy, trying to use his, his size advantage to get through that guy. And I don't know how many offensive fouls have been called, but they've certainly been noticeable. He, he's been called for that a few times, lowering his shoulder into the other defender. And I am sort of wondering whether, um, like, the how to defend him. I think some teams don't even do the Celtics thing during the regular season because I, I think it would give the Sixers more of an opportunity to try to combat it. Um, but I, I do worry that about all of this with him and how much of it is in his head. Because I will say, when you're watching the warm-up shots, they do look fine, you know, better than a lot of people who take threes. And um, he's going to be out for a little while now. But I think it is a fair time, even if you're on team, he's still great. He was an all-star without the jump shot, to really start to figure out what their plan B is going to be when, they, when teams do that to him. Because he does, it does sort of seem like they're four on five a lot. And against Utah, they, they double teamed Embiid every time he got the ball when Simmons was in. And then as soon as Simmons was out, they stopped doing it. Um, so that's sort of all. I'm just trying to figure out what they can do with him um, if he's not going to shoot. I mean, it, he can shoot. He's a, he hits shots in practice. He can step into those. It's just about translating that in actual game action and just being instead of like catching and going and trying to attack the paint and guys step up and you have to do like a sort of a weird leaning floater just step into a three and I know that everybody thinks this but just do it (laughs) like that's it I've so even even the people even the people who didn't think it are starting to think it or are like are like you know this is kind of a little weird. <laughs> oh, no, it's always been weird. A, it's like faulty. Yeah. Like we're close. It's obviously like it, there's to me there's starting to be no difference between like well Fultz used to be able to shoot and now he doesn't. Well, it's like well Fultz well Simmons catches and shoots in practice and now he doesn't. <laughs> like he's not doing it in the game. It's the same thing, and I'm. It's a long season. Well, there will be times when they look good and unbeatable and times when it seems like they've never played together and their offense is just fudge. 
um, it would open things up <laughs> if he just would once in a while let the ball swing to him and step into a three. Um, I don't know if I don't know. It's not going away. That's the no. The thing I mean, that, it's yeah. Because are we gonna, are we gonna do this every year? We're we gonna see more. If he doesn't shoot threes this year, we're we gonna see more off-season videos next season of of the same thing, and then expect something different. I don't know. I really wonder. I know Brett told us like I'm tired of getting those questions, but you understand why the questions come. Yeah. And I. Well, I, I we talked know, about that yeah. after that pod. He he was sick of talking about Joel's health and Ben Simmons shooting, but they're literally the only two things that matter. <laughs> you know, like they're the things that matter most. That's why people keep asking. Yeah. I, I and I will say, like I I I heartily believe in everybody else on the team. I believe in Tobias being a a useful like get a bucket guy, whether it's at the end of games or during a dry stretch in the third or whatever it is. I believe in Josh figuring out what his role is and, and impacting the game on both on both ends. I wish both Tobias and Josh were better passers, more instinctive passers, because there's times when you see a guy open and they're just a little late to make it happen and they end up mm-hmm. just pulling it out. And I think if those plays get made, those are easy buckets, like cutters, that kind of thing. Um, and Horford, I believe in. I mean, he's taking more threes than he's ever taken before. I be- leading the team. Yeah, I believe in those going five threes in. a game. Yeah, um, he's he had that really nice block on Jokic last night, um, where Jokic tried to go up and under and use the rim as yeah. protection, and Horford just you know he's a really smart player. It's it's so I'm so glad he's on our team, um, but he's also had some struggles shooting the ball and everything. So. I, I believe in, I really believe in it all working out. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be Sixers Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I it matters who has home court advantage, but I also think the Sixers can win either way. So it's all for me as frustrating as some games will be, and as frustrating it is to see them like, man, if they just had a few less mental mistakes or put a little more effort in here or there or whatever it is, they could win a lot more games. I I. I it's going to be a slog to just get to get to the playoffs, be healthy, have eight playable guys that you feel good about going into a, a brutal conference finals against the Bucks. That's that's all I'm thinking about. Well, I'm thinking about getting there first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not impossible. Like, you know, the, the East has more pretty good teams than maybe we imagined if the Heat are actually going to be good. And we'll get to that in a second. But, uh, you know, a second round matchup against the Celtics or the Heat. And the Celtics have a trade in them somewhere. Yeah. Uh, the Celtics or the Heat or, or something. Um, you mentioned uh, Horford. A quick mailbag question before we get to the mailbag or mailbag comment. Um, I, I mentioned this to you. Uh, this comes from Ryan. Spike, Mike, I'm traveling in my Al Horford Appreciator shirt this morning, leaving Santa Barbara on an early flight. As we're preparing to board, a woman approaches me and asks if she can take a picture of my shirt. She said she knows Al from when she lived in Atlanta and wanted to text him the photo. She also asked me about the origins of the shirt, giving me the opportunity to say the name and hate on Boston. So I ended up boarding right behind her and caught a glimpse of the name Corver on the digital reader after she scanned her boarding pass. A quick Google search confirmed she's Kyle's wife. 
I'd like to think she sent the photo to a group text, including at least Kyle, Al, and Al's wife. Who else from the Hawks era teams do you think could be on that group text? And what do you think was Al's response? Overall, I'm super happy the appreciation message is penetrating Al's social circle. I'd like that. I, all I want is Josh Smith to be on that text chain, too. Yeah. Josh Smith, Joe, ja- Joe Johnson, that whole team. Sure. Right. Damari Carroll. Yep. <laughs> I think uh, I think Al's response is in all caps LOL without actually, <laughs> without actually laughing. Yep. Yeah, that would be perfect. Um, I mentioned um, I mentioned oh, I mentioned the heat. I want to get to some comments Jimmy Butler made real quick. Uh, we'll make these comments brought to you by um, Kinetic Skateboarding. Um, boy, so they do um, they do limited things every once in a while, and they had uh, what do they call it? It's this purple. Tonight at midnight, we're releasing a limited run of the lavender kinetic reaper hoodies. So it's a kinetic hoodie with like this grim reaper on it in a cool lavender, I guess, like a really light purple. Um, but you have to keep an eye on the kinetic Instagram for stuff like that. I wish they would do a zip up hoodie. I like zip up better than pullover. Are you a zip up guy or a pullover guy? Uh, I'm. Mm, both. I would say normally both. more of a zip up guy though. Kineticskateboarding.com, promo code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. Jimmy Butler did an interview this week with Chris Haynes on Yahoo. Quote, motherfuckers act like I'm not a good basketball player. Side note, nobody acts like that. Like for real, just think about that. Like I can't come in and make a huge difference. I'm not going to say carry a team because nobody can do it by themselves, and I mean that. I'm not putting it all on myself, but I know what I'm capable of. I know what I bring to any and all situations and the group of guys that I have that I want to play with. When I look down the line and as we're, we're talking about it as an organization on this roster, I know what these guys are capable of. These guys are built like me. <laughs> we're one and the same, so they're only going to get better, and they're not going to get complacent. This is me. I see myself in every one of these guys around the locker room. Look at that motherfucker Dunn. Look at him. He's got such of me, so much of me in him that it's scary because his confidence continues to grow. The same thing with Tyler Harrow and Duncan. Come on, man. Just because you don't know these guys, don't make the state, mistake of looking past them. They're just going to make sure that you know them pretty, pretty soon. And on Philadelphia, stuff just didn't work out. Nobody knows what really went on in Philly, and we're going to leave it that way. But it was a great opportunity for me. Right, uh, all of that will come out whenever it's time. Right now is not the time. I'm locked in with this. I'm happy, man. I'm smiling, and my guys want me to be here, and this organization wants me to be here. Um, <laughs> two things. First of all, the fact that Jimmy Butler thinks the value of a player is how much they are like him is wonderful and very on brand. Everything in Miami is going exactly the way I figured. But the bullshit about nobody knows what happened in Philadelphia is so annoying to me. Now, I know once guys leave, you sort of forget them. But is it annoying to you or no? Um, it's only annoying in the sense that I know that if, if Joel wasn't still talking about Jimmy, about how much he missed him, then I, then I could be like, all right, whatever. It didn't work out. He didn't want to be here. He wanted to go be the guy somewhere else. Fine. But there being some lingering, it yeah. does Joel have not one foot out the door because I don't think he's ever he's leaving or ever leaving. But the 
there's there's a question in Joel's mind of like how it happened and maybe some bad feelings there. And so it, it does leave me a little like, what? Okay, why are we still dealing with this? Well, yeah, and that's another I've mentioned before. Uh, it's time to stop mentioning Jimmy Butler all the time. Like, obviously, there's a thing there, you know, within the team. And I'm sure, I'm sure, like, whatever Butler's talking about is Brett Brown and Ben Simmons related. Like, I'm sure it is. Like, there's, there's very little doubt in my mind. Yeah. Uh, I just wish it would all, I wish it would all go away. Um, we had some Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid um, emails this week. The Lorenzo Brown mailbag, writes Ricky Sanchez at gmail.com. But before we get to those, you requested this. Dear the Ricky, I am a person who was introduced to y'all by my boyfriend, but then we eventually broke up. Contrary to feeling bad vibes, I actually listen to the podcast more now than when I was with him. And not only that, I introduced you to my current partner, who also now listens to every show. Wow. No, ba- no bad vibes or custody battles. Instead, I am spreading the good word, but please don't use my name, LOL. <laughs> and I also heard, I don't want to give too many details, but I heard from another female listener who was introduced to the pod by a former, uh, former partner and now is more into the pod than the former partner is. So those are two, you asked what happened, you know, whether there was a breakup, whether one person gets the Ricky. It seems like, uh, it seems like the females are taking, the, uh, are taking up for this, but it does seem like there's no, vet, no bad vibes on that side. I will also say someone reached out to me to say, hey, if you, if you lost someone in the breakup and people stopped listening to the podcast, they wouldn't have heard you ask on the podcast for examples of when that <laughs> happened, which is logic I can't deny. <laughs> That's a good deny. point. So yeah. there, yep. there's that also. It is the garbage in, garbage out uh, thing about research. Mm-hmm. You know, you, your, uh, your research is only as good as the people that you are asking. So uh, a couple of emails, one from Bobby, one from Aaron, and then we got one more this morning about Embiid for Kevin, uh, from Kevin, uh, about Embiid. Let me just give you a taste. This is from Bobby. Uh, After lots of ruminating this week following the Embiid suspension and lots of weird shit that Jimmy Butler has been saying lately, I can't help but wonder, did Jimmy Butler ruin Joel Embiid in some sort of Chernobyl-esque reaction? Is his prolonged exposure of Butler now manifesting as a a horrific change in how Joel views himself? uh, Maybe I'm overthinking it, but the nastiness of Joel's fights tweets was pretty Butler-ish, and I can't get over whenever Joel brings up his love for Butler. Then from Aaron, following last night's pod, I've been thinking a lot about Joel not supporting Ben publicly and also talking about Jimmy constantly. I was briefly fooled by Jimmy's act and quickly fell out of it by the middle of last season when I realized what a true liar and fraud he is, but now I'm starting to worry about the long-term impact of his bullshit. Um, uh, And she had emailed us before about Joel not going to paintball, yada, yada, yada. And then finally, the one we got last night, I saw some of it in the Utah game, but that game against Denver was the worst game I've seen Embiid ever play. He's had bad games before, but this is the first time I've thought they need him off the court to win because he so clearly had no desire to play. Um, He keeps talking about Jimmy Butler, and I'm horrified that he has become too much like Jimmy. 
talks about wanting to win and how great the city is, but his actions on the court don't reflect it. If he's become too much like Jimmy Butler, he's going to request a trade by this summer if they don't win the championship, and in all likelihood, he'll request to be traded to the Heat to reunite with his best friend. So that's a lot. Um, Embiid in general and his, his whole thing and the Butler thing. Do you, do you think, as many of our listeners are worried, that Jimmy Butler had a, a bad effect on Joel Embiid? I like, I like the metaphor of Jimmy as Chernobyl. Yes. <laughs> the long-term exposure. That appeals to me. Um, yeah. I, I think he's affecting him now. I think it's still he still feels it, but hopefully, as the season goes on and the you know the team gels together and builds, and whether whether the like Carl Anthony Towns fight helped or whether Simmons even missing like a week or two, and then coming back and feeling like oh we're we're whole again, maybe that'll help. Like I think I think it'll it'll get in the rear view eventually. Um, but I do think it, the first couple of weeks, it, you feel it. I think, I think you take some iodine and, and get the, ex, the exposure out of your system and try to immune, immunize yourself to it. Um, but I, I'm not worried about it long term too much, I'll say. We take one final break from the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast to talk about the OG sponsor of the Ricky. That is LL. Pavorsky Jewelers. Mike, the holidays season is basically upon us. Oh, my God. I know. It's snuck up on us. I know over there in L.A., it doesn't ever seem like it's any different season, but uh, it's gotten very cold here. And, you know, people are going to need gifts for Christmas, for Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. People are going to need uh, maybe, you know, uh, proposing during the holiday time is always a great time to propose. Propose during Thanksgiving. Um, you know, while your aunt is cutting the turkey, just show that ring to your loved one. LL is the person to get that ring from for your Thanksgiving proposal. It's coming, Mike. One day you're going to make it to one of these. December 7th, the LL Pavorsky holiday party and sale. It's when we all pack LL Pavorsky jewelers um, and act like we're grownups by dressing up and get free past hors d'oeuvres. LL better have something that is vegan this year, just at least one thing that I can eat. Uh, free drinks, and amazing deals on all of the jewelry. Um, so you either got to come to the holiday sale or if you're going to get a an engagement ring, and we're up to 150, right, Stricky Sanchez listeners who have purchased engagement ring. Actually, 151. Mike, I secretly know about 151. Wow. It is not advertised yet, but 151 has been purchased. I was uh, I was told this very secretly on the down low. So we're up to 151 rings uh, from Wright's Ricky Sanchez listeners, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Give them a call before you go over there, 215-627-2252. Shoot the shit and then tell them how much you want to spend on the ring. Or you can tweet them at LL Pavorsky. Email them, llpavorsky.com. The store's at 707 Walnut, where it's been for 30 years. Uh, and for every pod, Coded by Kids and Providence Animal Center get generous donations from the Pavorsk, as his friends call them. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. One lucky customer gets to spend the holiday party in, that's right, the cabana. <laughs> Back to the pod. Yeah, yeah, and he is still young and impressionable yeah. and all that stuff. And Butler is a, a, a strong personality, and, and it's 
you know, it's not not to be lost that Butler's on court fit with Embiid, while like I think Jimmy Butler, creator and floor spacer, is not as true as as people dream it to be. Um, you know, it's a it's all a thing. You know, it's all it's it's part of why I want he and Simmons to be more complimentary on the court, so things like this don't. You know, like like Butler can certainly leave a worm in the brain of somebody, you know, and when things are going bad, he can start to think like that. So mm-hmm. and I, I think I've mentioned this before. I think overall Embiid was unhappy with the offseason, even though I, I think he's, you know, has no problem with anybody specifically. But losing Butler and Reddick, I think, was actually not great to him. So, yeah, uh, he, I mean, yeah. He, take, he clearly is a guy who takes he takes things personally. And also likes to be the guy who's like, oh, I'm just having fun out here. But the things that he does take take real stock in and, and that matter to him really matter to him. And, and I think that's yeah. why he, you know, all the good things about him, you know, loving Sam as much as he did, kind of just always hating Colangelo. That was that's all part of like he's a he's a guy who feels. And so yeah. it's taking him time to sort of get over the loss of Jimmy and JJ and m- maybe he's uh, you know who knows what he's what he's thinking we don't know what's in his head but uh it it would be nice to see him stop talking about that and really like have have his boys back i think although it, i think he does love Furkan he did tweet about Furkan so uh, the last one I'm going to end with is actually not on our prep sheet because I, uh, I I thought you would love it so much I would surprise you with it. We actually got, I think, three different suggestions of that. This comes from Avi. Hey, guys, I have a theory about Ben Simmons' shoulder injury that is backed by the science of statistics. When Markel Fultz hurt his right shoulder, it nearly derailed the Sixers' rebuild and caused more emotional damage in the process community than arguably anything before or since. Now Ben Simmons has hurt the same shoulder. As far as I know, he is the first sixer since Markell to hurt his right shoulder. And this time, the injury will have the exact opposite effect on our franchise and fan base. Ben will return from this injury having discovered how to shoot, thus, dealing a, thus healing a major divide in the process community and propelling the sixers to new heights. I know this is not a math podcast, but I believe statisticians call this concept reversion to the mean. It is a scientific fact. As the acclaimed movie Rookie of the Year proves, random shoulder injuries tend to have a positive impact on the performance of young athletes. Yeah. Ben, ben Simmons is the next Henry Rowan Gardner. The Thomas Again, e. Nicholas theory. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Would be amazing if he came back firing away. Would be amazing. Um, so there's all different there's all different suggestions about how long Simmons will be out. They said at least three games. Um, I think it'll be a good time to get Neto some run and Burke some run, and you know everything moves up. By the way, we didn't mention that the James Ennis like Michael Jordan like finishes at the rim last night. Oh, he's great, man. Things. He's so weird. <laughs> I knew for yeah. a fact he was missing both of those foul shots. There was just not a chance yeah. that either of those were going in. But like. James Ennis tip dunks. He, I, I've, I love his how he attacks the offensive glass. It's such a delight, and uh, his threes will fall, but he's pretty good in transition. I just a, like the perfect seventh eighth guy, whatever he is. It's like love, love him to death. All right, that's all I got. Do you have any any final thoughts? 
I liked it better when they won. Yeah. Um, but they are still five and three, playing like one of the hardest schedules in the league, uh, without some part of their best two players for a good chunk of it, and uh, and six of eight games on the road. So, I as much as it's frustrating, as much as they should be six and two or seven and one, um, it's a long ass season. We're not going to remember this in a month. Like. It's going to be fine. They're going to be hovering at or around the top three or four seeds in the East for a while, and then you make your push and you uh, finish strong. So let's just get there. Let's get there healthy. I think when we looked at the, um, what's it called, at the first 10 games, we looked at the stretch, and it might have said six and four or something like that for the first 10 games. So, And the next six games are, I feel like all of them are against the Cavs and the Knicks. So... <laughs> I I, mean, I know it sounds impossible. And Charlotte, Cavs, Knicks, and Charlotte. It, Hornets, it does seem Hornets, like the Knicks. Cavs, Magic, Thunder, Cavs, Knicks. That's that, that's feasibly six and zero. Feasibly, so. I, I would take five at five if and one. Ele- four, if they're eleven even. and three by the end of this, I feel good. And yeah. nothing short of that. <laughs> nothing short of eleven and that's three. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we will uh, we'll talk to you. T- the next week will be a this coming week will be a two pod week. We're sorry for the one pod week. I think that we are probably to blame for the if we had just gotten the pod out of the way in the middle of the week, we would have had a win against. Denver. That's probably right. This is our fault. Yeah. If I hadn't been tweeting about Jokic being fat the whole time, he would not come back and scored in the second half. Also, this is also all, right. All us. Yeah. All us. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, are you done with TTP? Yeah, you know, look face. Ever.